Um, okay. I can't... Okay, Scooter won't even be on the show with me. So, here's what's going on right now. I um, Normally, I'd be doing this podcast with Steve. Um, in the past three weeks, Steve has forgotten about doing this podcast twice uh, each day. Uh, he forgot to bring his headphones. Um, and headphones are necessary because otherwise, when we were talking back and forth, you could hear an echo of me. Um, and then the other time, other time that they weren't charged. And then, so I, look, obviously his heart's not in to doing the podcast. And I don't know what's going on. So I'm going to air, I'm going to air a little bit of dirty laundry right now. And then we do have an amazing guest. My good friend, Shane Hartline is on the show today. Uh, and his, you got to hear a story. It's, it's, it's very, very interesting. He talks about, um, uh, wrestling. He was a professional wrestler from the age of 17, uh, transitioned into acting. Now he's on the show, um, uh, station 19. Uh, he, uh, has a, a neurotic, uh, is, am I saying that right? A neurotic condition? No, it's not a neurotic, neurologic. <laughs> he's neurotic. But he has a neurological condition. So I have Mark sitting here with me right now. Um, so uh, Marcus Guy does all the cameras and makes everything great. Um, and um, so, yes, he has a neurological uh, condition that we will discuss. Uh, he has an opinion about the new Batman movie. And then, um, uh, yeah, anyway, you got to hear his story. His story is great. So he's 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 an, an actor who chose to have that to go by a path of of doing uh, professional wrestling, again, at the age of 17, to become an actor. So anyway, it's, he's really cool. So you'll hear that in a little bit. But first, um, here's the thing. So here's something that happened. I am shooting my TV special, probably by the time this airs, it already happened. It's in Anaheim, California, uh, at the brewery. It's a huge space, amazing brewery. It's a giant TV production, giant barrel walls they're building. And like, you're going to see it on TV. It's going to be amazing. Um, who am I shooting it for? First of all, I'm shooting it uh, for myself. Um, I've talked to, to different... No, Steve, I'm not going to take your call now, bro. I've talked to a bunch of different um, uh, networks and they want to see what we have and all this kind of stuff because look, they haven't seen my stand up in ten years. So all I'm going to do is I'm going to just I'm going to shoot it. I'm spending my own money. I'm shooting it. It's going to look amazing. I have this fantastic production company called Sonic Gods. Adam Horner is a great producer over there. He's helping me put the whole thing together. He's he's being fantastic. The brewery and their team over there are literally turning a barrel warehouse into a giant soundstage big barrel walls and a big stage and the lights. It's going to be amazing. So um, for many of you, you've, you've seen my stand-up. So Laughs and Drafts is the stand-up comedy tour that I did last year. Um, I'm now doing a tour called Logger Than Life. That will be starting after this special. So I'll start transitioning into that show as soon as I shoot um, this TV special. But until, until I shoot the TV special, I got to just keep doing the same stand-up so that um, I can kind of drill it into my head and and make the special the best that it can be. So I'm um, doing a bunch of warm-up shows in L.A., and then I'm, and then I'm going to go and do the, uh, the special in Anaheim at the brewery. So I talk a lot about Steve in the show. I, am I going to talk about Steve in the next stand-up show? 
you'll have to see to find out. Um, what does that mean? I don't know yet. <laughs> I have a lot of it written, but I don't know what'll stick. If anyone who saw like my very first shows, like at LA Aleworks or some of these shows, the show has so changed to what it is now. It's not the same show. So when I start doing a show, it, it changes. My job as a comedian is to make this show improve every single night. So every single night, if people come to multiple shows, they should see something different, have a different experience. Um, and then once I get to a point like right now where I've done 105, 108 shows, I'm ready to go and put it up and do a special for it. So then after that, I start preparing my new stuff. Regardless, if you show up, it's going to be amazing. And if you haven't gotten tickets yet, go to ZaneLamprey.com to get tickets. Pinocchio, you want to be part of this? Okay, that's fine. Okay, this is Pinocchio. Um, for people that are watching, Pinocchio is now standing on my desk. For people who can listen, he doesn't breathe so good. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Um, Pinocchio, you are significantly better than Steve for a multitude of reasons that I won't get into. Namely, because you're actually here. Uh, but maybe not because your butt's in my face, so I'm not sure if I believe you about that. Um, so anyway, my, my show ends, without giving too much away, um, with a lot of stuff about Steve. I talk about Steve, some Steve experiences. Um, okay, now, now Pinocchio is on my desk trying to hold my hand. You are beautiful, okay. Um, and so it ends with me talking a lot about Steve. Um, some funny stories, um, and it kind of culminates with, with a story, you know, like just stories about how Steve is a pain in my ass. Because he is, he's a pain in my ass. At case in point, today. So I was going to have Steve come on at the very end of the show and he was going to come on stage and it was going to be like, holy shit, Steve McKenna is here. And he was going to take one of the mics and he was going to say, hey, Zane, I got, can I say one quick thing? I was, like, I was going to say, yeah. He was going to say, go fuck yourself, drop the mic and walk away. That would have been amazing. That would have been amazing. Now, look, Steve doesn't drink anymore. I get it. So I respect, I respect that. Um, sorry, I, I have to take a picture of Pinocchio, of what Pinocchio is doing as I'm recording this. Pinocchio, okay. upside down, just, okay, that's great. Actually, we can actually work this into the podcast because this is actually my view of Pinocchio trying to get attention on the desk. Okay, great, you can stay there. Um, so Steve got on the last podcast, okay, the one we just recorded. However, it was a few weeks ago. What we're trying to do is I want to record a bunch before we release this podcast so that when we're ready to go, we don't miss a date. We're, we're, we're consistent, we, st we stay on top. And we now have video, thanks to Mark um, helping me put that together. <laughs> Pinocchio, I'm, now I'm getting your hair in my mouth. Y you know what, just for audio reasons, I'm gonna put you on the ground. Okay, okay, I love you, bye. Um, Scooter, come here. <laughs> um, and so, um, Steve was growing his beard. And I said, oh, you got a beard? He's like, yeah, man, because I'm doing the special. This is gonna be, this is gonna be great. And I'm like, okay, so you're committing. He's like, yeah, of course, if I say something, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I don't know. You'll, you can listen to it, whatever he said there. But then he calls me a, a fucking week later. I'm like, hey, what's going on? He's like, oh, man, nothing. Just to do this, to this, this, this. Oh, to shave my beard. Thank God. I'm like, why'd you shave your beard? I'm like, he's like, oh, because it was so itchy. I'm like, you were going to do the special. He's like, oh, yeah, I forgot. You fucking forgot? What are you talking about? We had... How can someone forget a clear conversation like that, that we're, that he's growing it for the show? Because look, in Three Sheets, he didn't really have a beard. And Drinking Made Easy, he always had a beard. He got known for that. So Steve's really had a beard 
and 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 the and his fucking whatever his public persona is for the last I don't know t- 10 12 years. And so I thought it'd be great if he had this beard, but he's always pissing and moaning about it. But big deal, itches, man. What? You got to grow for two more weeks. He would have had this big old beard because he's got some weird fucking testosterone problem. His hair grows too fast. And it would be like amazing. And he's like, oh, then I got to diet because it's all gray. Then fucking diet. It's it's like whatever. And and so he's like, I don't know, man. I don't I, I can't. And he starts listing this myriad of, 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 of reasons why he didn't want to do it. I'm like, then just fucking say you don't want to do it. So then I called his wife. I called his wife, Joanna. And I was like, look, I think Steve should do this show. And he doesn't want to do it. And I think it'd be a great way, if he doesn't want to do this shit anymore, like, fine, close the book. Close the chapter. Bookend it with this amazing ending to my special where I talk about him. It just makes sense. Besides, if this thing ends up on Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime or Peacock or HBO Max, wherever it ends up, like... it would be cool, and he would he would like that. So I don't know if he's conflicted because now he's not drinking and he's like trying to get whatever. And this shows about the stupid shit that he did when he was drinking and some shit stupid shit that he did when he wasn't drinking. He didn't he didn't have to he didn't just reserve stupid shit for when he was drinking. I want to point that out. All right. So now anyway, that's where we are. He's he now he he's okay. So he stopped calling me. Wouldn't return my calls for like a week. And I was like, finally getting him. I'm like, are you not text? Are you not fucking talking to me because I called your wife? No, 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 no. It's just that I can't really. Whatever. So anyway, he's he. I think that that's. I think that's what it is. And his wife, they live in in Utah, in Park City, and they're like, and she's like, oh yeah, I'll come out there. He can do the show, and I'll take the kids to Disneyland. I'm like, that sounds like a plan. And anyway, that was it. So now he's been ghosting me. I have this thing, and Mel hates that I that I have this thing. But but hear me out. I say that if you have more than one excuse, especially more than two excuses, you're not being honest because you don't feel like any of those excuses are strong enough or valid enough, so you load them up with other ones. Like Steve going, oh, uh, I didn't shave the, I, I shaved the beard. Oh, I forgot. And besides, uh, I'm not sure if I, I'll be able to get out there. I'm so busy. And I did. Like, if you forgot, then being busy, there's, you know what I mean? And he starts listing other excuses like, dude, just fucking say you don't want to do it. That's it. So anyway, now he's not doing this podcast. He, he said he forgot his headphones. He knows that he needs them. So maybe he's looking for excuses. So maybe he's done. So maybe he's done. So we'll see. I've never just got up, gotten up here and talked to myself. Talked by myself. I know people do it like Bill Burr and other comedians, Mark Maron, I guess they, they'll kind of just talk for a while. And I didn't know that I could do it. And apparently I can because I've been fucking doing it for fucking 10 minutes right now. So anyway, we'll wrap that shit up in a bit at the end. Right now, uh, my interview with a, an amazing guy, my dear, very dear friend, Shane Hartline. Cat cam. Good. All right. So. <laughs> Mine was so much better. Yours is good. <laughs> um, all right, let's let's just get right into it. Uh huh. Let's talk about the day that we met because I think special. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Um, when we met spiritually or physically? Oh Jesus Christ! Oh my God, he's breaking stuff, Mark. I'm already breaking. Stuff. No, I'm good. I'm good. We're is done. Good. I'm just not even going to touch it anymore. That's what she <laughs> well, said. I don't want it to hit you in the face. Well, me neither. That's what, that's she, what said. she said. Yeah. Um. So, all right, I'll break it down for you. It was. Almost a year ago, mm-hmm. um, it was 
probably one of the hottest days of the year. Crazy, crazy hot. And we were shooting a movie called Furry Fortune uh-huh. about a dog that I had this idea. So this was a... You this, came up with Furry no, Fortune. No, 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 I didn't. Mm. This is a, a Russian guy talking, pitching the movie. Okay? Okay. Pitch, pitching Furry yeah, Fortune. Yeah. I had this movie. Mm-hmm. It is about dog. Mm. And um, what happens is a family has dog, has no money, mm. right? So dog, uh, it uh, shits money. Mm-hmm. It shits, shits money. I love that. Here's a million dollars to yeah. make it. But do you understand? When you are Russian, you say this. Or many other accents. And I'm not sure if this is Russian or Greek. Yeah, anyone has any idea. But it's just like, it's a shits money. Mm. Shits. Let's do this movie in America now. Right. But you understand, but you know the name of movie. Furry Fortune. You know what Doug does. It's not shit. It sheds, shit. not shit. Shit's money. The emphasis on the E. Shit's money. Sheds money. money. Can we cuss on this? Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> you can't. Yeah, we can. Zane, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> what no, the f- because because the dog sheds money. Mm-hmm. But I think it'd be funny if a guy, a Russian guy was pitching it and it sounds like it shits money. That might be more interesting. Yeah, well, that honestly could be the sequel <laughs> i mean i like that and i think we should start developing that as a we sequel. should just do it well i don't to before we get to how we met uh when i got that audition initially oh man just based on the concept alone i almost turned down the audition so mm-hmm. quickly yeah. and i and i don't do that often because like i want i like money and i want to work um yeah. but i yeah that concept alone i was just like what is this but i did the tape and then I got the full script and I was like, oh, this is like a fun movie that I would have loved when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. It felt like a 90s movie. It yeah. felt like a fun yeah. 90s movie. And that that got me excited to do the callback and everything past that. And um, do people, they didn't know that 90s nostalgia is your, that's your trigger. Oh, that's your, I that's love your, it. your favorite. I love it. Yeah. I love it so much. Like I loved my childhood. Like yeah. I love like watching old home movies and you know i'm actually like about to dive in and and uh start working on my first like feature screenplay that i've done by myself mm-hmm. um done by myself and i'm gonna it's gonna be about it's gonna take place in the 90s it's all gonna so just you're, be packed so you're into, writing it but you're not you're not shooting it uh i'm just gonna start writing it okay. and then you know see where it takes me yeah yeah um but no let's go back to where we met physically for the first physically, time. not metaphysically. Mm. Um, so yes, yeah, so on the set of this movie about dog shits money, mm-hmm. uh, and <laughs> I walk in there. So first of all, and this is kind of interesting. It's it was June. The mm. reason I know it's June is because I I turned it down. Did you? I, yeah, I said I said I just don't have time, and I like. And got, this concept sounds. And weird. I got the pitch, and I was like, ah, guys, I can't really do it. <laughs> and then my my friend is one of the producers, and I, I I said I can't do it. And then Mel's like, he's my buddy Kendall, and he's like, Mel's like, Kendall does so many things for you, you have to do this movie. I'm like, oh my god, because I hadn't done this is I, I had the the first show of my tour was the next day. I know, and so. I was like, I don't know if I need to prep in my head. I don't know. I've never d- gone off on a, a tour like this before. And so I just didn't know if I would be able to mentally prepare. But I was like, okay, fine. I did it. So I show up there. I think it was kind of early. I get into this sheriff's outfit. And then they hand me everything, including the gun. 
And I think it's a prop gun, but it might be a real gun that was kind of dumb, <laughs> dummied down. Just I, had a, a piece of duct tape over yeah, the tip. Yeah, yeah. It's fine. It's fine. And so I'm just twirling it the whole day and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And there was no, like, gun safety. Now, I wasn't shooting and it didn't have blanks or anything like that. So it wasn't mm-hmm. like this whole Alec Baldwin thing. But that happened shortly after. So if, so I definitely wouldn't have been in, in, in a position where I could have, and I, or would I have been twirling oh, sure. the gun around, trying, sure. to, trying to learn how to do gun tricks or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so so here I'm dressed as a small-town sheriff. Walk in, walk... Uh, the the base camp were all like the makeup and wardrobe and all of our trailers, mm-hmm. which is funny, were in one spot in this church parking lot, mm-hmm. and on like the 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 grass that was all just yellow and brown because it was so hot, hadn't got watered, it was just you know like like kindling, mm-hmm. and then we got shuttled to this house, which is probably maybe a mile away, and brought onto set, and a lot of people are already standing around, inclu- including you. And I think it's the first, I don't think I knew this. It was the very first thing ever. First thing any of us had done together. Yeah. First scene. And and it was the last scene where basically the, uh, the where the town sheriff, it was just the culmination of the entire thing. And mm-hmm. the town sheriff is there kind of like, what's, you know, kind of, I don't know, just something. And it was a up. big scene. It was, it was a big scene. It was the end. But, yeah. but not just that, not just a big scene as a part of the story, but like uh, as far as like, you had every cast member. Yeah. You had a dog. You had kids yeah. Yeah. <laughs> outside in the sun. Yeah. Like it was like, hey, we're diving in head first. Yeah. Like this is the ultimate, like Yeah. Get to work. And, you know, we were shooting this movie in ten days. Yeah. You know, I knew, you know, based on doing other indie films that that was going to be such a challenge on top of just shooting a film in 10 days, you're doing it with kids and a dog. Yeah, right. So I was like, we're going to be lucky to get like yeah. two takes. Two, the two things that's like, what's going to break up uh, a relationship? It's like moving and just all these different things. And what's going to make a, a film harder is like heat, uh, children, and animals. And you had all of it. Yeah, and you had all of it. And, yeah. And, and I walk on there. Now, I kind of had looked it over and I had memorized it. But I hadn't run through, and I and I was all I I thought I was walking into a rehearsal before the scene. Mm-mm. I walk right up there, and they put a mic on me, and they go, "Okay," and then all right, and action. Mm. And I think I was even like, "Whoa, I don't even what's going on? What scene are we at?" Uh, yeah. Okay, the last one, and then I knew the lines, and then you were talking first. And I knew I knew everybody's lines, and and the, your lines like you were making them your own. You weren't. You weren't sticking purely to script. I thought you were kind of making it better, making it. You, oh, you know. thank. I I look at usually I do. I wait till like rehearsal or the first take of anything. Right. Anything I do to kind of like test the waters with the the director. Right. Um, Who was also the writer. Mm-hmm. So how married is he to like these exact yeah. words? And and, and I knew from the first take he's like like he was gonna let me have fun. Yeah. And, and I and I didn't and that know makes that. everything easier. And as soon as I heard you do that, we did a cut, and they cut in the middle of it. And I think I—that's the first thing I ever said to you was like, "Wait, you can just say mm. whatever you want." You're like, "I, I, I think so." <laughs> I think so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I think some p- people are afraid to kind of like take chances and that and 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 on sets and that kind of thing. But like, to me, until they tell you not to, like, what's the worst that could happen? Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. go to actor jail. Yeah, right. I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> and that, and then, no. then everything, and as far as I'm concerned. 
it all became fun at that yeah, point. Yeah, I mean the shoot itself was so fun. I mean it really I mean it was tough. Like I mean every project I've ever done is tough in different ways, shapes and forms like but it was it was a it felt like a boot camp but in the best way possible is like you, everybody, the energy was like, we all kind of understood the energy quickly Mm -hmm. and we understood that like, Oh, we're getting two, three takes if we're lucky. Yeah. So you got to one, bring your a game. Um, but also like I learned quickly, like the, the tone of the film and the energy and man, it was just like, they let me be let They, they just let me have so much fun on that thing. Yeah. Um, I, I really am excited for people to see it yeah. when, when from being in that place, um, is such a polar opposite when they first sent me the concept and the script, I was just like, I, you remember, I almost, like I said, I almost turned it down yeah. to go from that to like, I, I think it's going to be like a special film, especially for kids, you know? And when is it supposed to, we just filmed, we, we did ADR, um, uh, month and a half ago something like so, that so they so, finished po- post so ADR or not finished post but they have to like they're in post right yeah, now yeah they're finishing up mm-hmm. so ADR for people who don't know is uh, additional dialogue replacement I, and, yeah is that right I think so yeah and that's um, you know if there's wind noise or there's something they just have people come in and re- repeat their lines so they can mix it up and make it make it clean so mm-hmm. well yeah so so anyway what, what, what I think the most amazing thing about that is like I was on that for like a day mm-hmm and then and then we're done. And then we all end up on like texter. I don't know. Maybe all through like Instagram, we all start talking and connecting again. And then mm-hmm. everybody and then everybody in the set who met each other in a day. Mm-hmm. And then it's like is all now talking like the cast of a fucking show that's been on the year for three years. It's crazy yeah. how that can happen, yeah. and it doesn't always happen. Like right. I've done, I've done films um, that are. Actually, the polar opposite, where you're just like, oh, I can't wait to get through this. Yeah, like, right. It's not that I dislike people. It's just energies, man. Like, you know, what it is though. It's also egos. There's a lot. If you think of e- about it. There was very. Oh, I was probably I was probably on, the only bad ego, ego on set. Yeah, the yeah. Ego <laughs> the only Twir- ego on twi- set. Twi- twirling my gun. Uh, he and says then- twirling his gun. He came in pointing it at everybody just shooting it do you know who i am and first yeah. he went straight to the kids and i was Old like whoa Yeller, bro bitch. <laughs> that's right <laughs> yeah, that's <me. laughs> uh and then when i did my show in hollywood which god was like six or seven months later pretty much everybody yeah, was there. it was great yeah man. that was that and was that's awesome. when we became best friends yes yeah. that was it and we, we decided yeah it was like I, we called our shot. I know? decided, and you're kind of going with it. Yeah, I was trying to make him feel good. Um. So, all right. So now we're gonna go back in time, mm-hmm. and we're gonna go back to you growing up in Florida, mm-hmm. and you you were on a trajectory to be a professional wrestler. Mm, yeah, big time. So um, yeah. So what 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 age did that start? You started off as a fan, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. My dad. He. Uh, you know. I think sometimes he like heightens the it's his birthday today actually um sometimes happy i think happy birthday happy birthday dad R- R- roger uh sure Chris. sure for privacy issues i'll say no uh, roger. alan <laughs> alan alan happy birthday um i he heightens a lot of the stories but i think but you know he he kind of dabbled in pro wrestling and almost getting into it he's he's a bigger dude than i am like how tall is he six four okay like big dude and what are you six two okay um he he dabbled in it in the 80s and in florida in the 80s wrestling was it was still real to people like, That's like it, cut yourself blood and stuff it's crazy yeah it's crazy like just a different beast 
Um, so he was dabbling in it and his famous story that he like tells everybody, he's like, you know, I was, they, uh, the weekend they offered me a contract to Florida, Florida championship wrestling. I met your mom and I quit wrestling. I'm like, I don't know. That <laughs> is totally accurate, but we'll, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll agree with you. But, um, no. So from an early age, like I remember watching wrestling with, were, him. were you always bigger than other kids? Totally. Okay. Totally. And I, but I never, I never, I was never the type that used that to my advantage. Mm -hmm. In fact, like I never wanted to be like Mm -hmm. the bigger kid Mm -hmm. or anybody with an advantage. I wanted to just like mold in with whatever group I was with. Mm -hmm. Um, but definitely I was like always the bigger kid. Um, but as as long as I remember, I watched wrestling with him. Like you know, just the earliest memories of like Hulk Hogan and all these guys that were just like the the cliche thing to say is they were comic book characters, like yeah. real life comic book characters. You know, so as I got older, I just grew such an interest in a lot of things that were just with the with the same theme of entertainment. Like I was into wrestling, I was into Nickelodeon, I wanted to be an actor, and I was like. I picked up my video camera at age 10 and I just, uh, my parents video camera and started filming myself doing skits and stuff. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I think I'm going to get into wrestling one day to, to become an actor, which mm-hmm. is such a hard path to become an actor. I mean, a path, but a hard path. Yeah. Look, having a path, that's it. Right. Like just, just having a, a, a roadmap mm-hmm. even if it changes mm-hmm. right like mine was mine was hosting into acting didn't really happen it was hosting into into stand up and then you know what am i going to be like 65 and get my first movie you mm-hmm. know? well besides fairy fortune um but no i look, it's it's, adm- it's admirable to have that plan mm. and so how so how old were you when you kind of thought that i started thinking like i wanted to re- like really started thinking about i wanted to do wrestling or like 13, 14. Um, And when I was 15, I went to a uh, WWE event and outside of the event was this dude that was passing out flyers. Hey, come to my wrestling school. And Hey, do you teach teenagers? He's like, yeah, whatever. And so do you have money? (laughs) Exactly. And so my dad took me to this first wrestling training when I was 15 in Poinciana, Florida. And I wanted to quit. I was like, I was like, it was brutal. I mean, were you athletic? No, it's still like uh, I just started dieting and kind of I did the low carb Atkins thing at that time. And like, so I was like, just started taking my health seriously, okay. uh, you know, as seriously as you can take it when you're 15. Yeah. But I, you know, I went to this wrestling training. It was, it was brutal. It was brutal. And I was like, I remember driving home and I told, I told my dad, I was like, you know, maybe I'll just be a wrestling manager. <laughs> and he's like, no, you're going to see this through. Like you're going to, you're going to at least see it through, yeah. which I'm so glad that he always, you know, pushed me to do that, mm-hmm. you know, with anything I did. And I, and I did, I stuck through the training and I think it was 17 when I started wrestling, like independently full time around the state, like every weekend I would just go to different independent VFWs and, but against other kids your age. No, dude, I was 17 wrestling dudes in their thirties and forties. So how big were you? I was six two, and and by the time I started wrestling, uh, I was like two hundred ten pounds. I was okay. in good good shape at that time. Okay, got it. Um, so I was, you know, I was, I was toe to toe with the, yeah. the guys that were some of them sometimes double my age. Right, but I was 
getting my ass kicked every weekend yeah. and sometimes excessively sometimes you say getting your ass kicked okay yeah as, as, as part, i should elaborate as, well but yeah but as as part of the plan so you know I, I, most people know this obviously but pulling the curtain back wrestling is like semi-scripted i don't want to ever say it's fake because it isn't it's insanely physical well there's two different ways of looking at it. like scripted and fake are two different to have a storyline yeah it's it's, it's, it's necessary but like what do you mean is it fake? Did, did I just go and do a, a backflip and get thrown on my ass? Yeah, that really just happened. Yeah, so, so yeah. It's, it's, stunt, it's, live, it's a live stunt show. That's basically all it is. It's like we, we learn how to take... Good way of putting it. We, we learn how to take all these things without killing ourselves, but it still inflicts pain. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, so I realized pretty quickly that these guys were... You know, being excessively physical to the to the new kid who was coming yeah. in, and um, you know, to the extent of like, uh, I would go out there and you know, a guy would come throw me into the corner and like palm thrust in the nose. Oh, sorry, bud. You know, like or doing things a little excessive. Like, there's I'm all about like the more physical style of wrestling matches, but then there's a point where you know my nose was getting busted open every match, or yeah. just things were being excessive because like. In wrestling, especially at that time, um, I was still in it when it was a little excessively barbaric and, you know, but there was this thing of like the new people have to pay their dues and pay their dues means get your ass kicked almost on a nightly basis. Yeah. So I think I wasn't. Sorry, do me one favor. Yeah. yeah. Put put the microphone. A little bit closer. No, no. I'm wondering about the P's. Just putting off to the side just a little bit. Right there. Uh, So still aimed at you. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. Right there? Yeah, perfect. Um, so I found out, you know, quickly uh, that I think had I gone into it a little bit when I was a little bit older, I think I would have been mentally a bit more prepared and capable for I mean, I what mean, I was thrust into or any, chose to be thrust into. However these guys are treating you, they are more mature. They're more physically mature. Yeah. They've all been through it, and you're a new guy coming in. But were they like... Were these guys like salty dogs? Like, well, some of them, some of them were, you know, bitter. I mean, nobody like straight up. I was never in fear of my life, but mm-hmm. there was definitely situations where I knew this, like, something would be happening ha- several times. Something would be happening in a match, and I'm like, that was way more physical than it should have been. Right, right. Um, it could have looked just as convincing and not hurt. Yeah, and, and I and I and I knew like, oh, I'm the young guy, and 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 um, as time went on, and you know, I I knew that I was never gonna be the wrestler that was the fancy flipping wrestler, the guy who did all the like crazy moves. I knew my strength was being like goofy and entertaining and working mm-hmm. with the audience, and so I started getting attention kind of quickly in the local wrestling scene mm-hmm. to the extent like, and we're jumping forward a bit. Um, I'll, the day I quit, this is funny how it's, you met, you met your wife. Uh, it's funny how it is similar to my dad's story, but like the, the day I quit wrestling when my, and at this point, my heart was so out of it. Mm-hmm. YouTube had started and I was doing sketches on YouTube and I was looking for a reason to quit. Mm-hmm. So uh, the day I quit, I was at my, I was at wrestling training and my, one of my trainers came up to me and he how, said, how old are you? At this, at this point, I'm 20, 20, 19, okay. 20. Okay. And at this, so the trainer came up to me and he's like, you know, the WWE contacted us recently and there's a couple of you guys that they might, might bring in for a tryout here mm-hmm. soon. 
And at that point I was like, all right, I'm done because I was like pretty sure that I could get at least a developmental contract because I knew what they were looking for at that time, mm-hmm. which was heightened characters, which yeah. is what I was doing. Yeah. Um, and my heart was so in YouTube and comedy at that time that I was just looking for a reason. I was like, I don't want to waste anybody's time anymore. And myself. Like, mm-hmm. I was so out of it. I hated everything about it at that point. If you did hypothetically get to do something with the WWE uh-huh. at that point, what would the money have looked like? Uh, at first, not great. Uh, with WWE, as time goes on, you get more and more. And it can be really lucrative at a certain point. Mm-hmm. I, not just the money, I wouldn't have known what to do with any of it at the time. Mm -hmm. Like I'm so, so glad that didn't happen for me at that time. Mm -hmm. I just would have crumbled. I was such, I was so immature in so many ways. Mm -hmm. Like I, and that's why I think wrestling crumbled me at that time. I wasn't ready for it. Like there's still times I watch it and I'm like, man, I could still do it. I could still make something of it. Um, And I know right now I'm in a much better mental health place for the wrestling industry not to but mention I, f- physicality i mean that's going to take its toll oh uh, god when you're young right 17 to 20 23 you can do things with your body and just feel like rubber that are going to catch up to dude you. i still feel in I, I mean i i have lifelong permanent injuries from the fears i did it in my early 20s mm-hmm and, and, you know, thinking about like, I mean, Razor Ramon passed away yesterday, you know, one of my favorites and, and just thinking about like doing it for my whole life. And sometimes these guys do it into their fifties. Like your, your, your later years would just be miserable. Mm-hmm. Like, um, yeah, I, I, I think I, 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 you know, I like to believe I made the right choice. Yeah. You know, well, I wouldn't have had you on this show if you were a wrestler. Good. Just, and so I don't know if this you is have the, the strict no wrestler policy. <laughs> I don't have that. But but John Cena's in here. Yeah, yeah. That's a it. joke because you can't see him. Oh, got it. Some people will get that. <laughs> will they? <laughs> All right. So um, okay. All right. So yeah. So you were even 2005 Florida Rookie of the Year. Was mm-hmm. that when you were 17? That was 18. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Okay. That was 18. Uh, what kind of money were you making? Oh God, nothing. Like, like I mean, it all, so there was like, <clears throat> what was cool about Florida wrestling scene at the time, there was like 10 to 15 independent wrestling companies in so, Florida, in Florida, that so, just operated in Florida. Yes. But now what I, now let me uh, dive deeper. So some of these would put, go on at the local convention center that would pull two to 300 people. And that's a big crowd for the Florida indie scene. Okay. And then on the other end, I'd be at the lo- a local bar in front of ten people, you know. So, so you, so you, they set up a ring at like all kinds of places, VFWs, convention centers, bars, backyards. I mean, ceiling, not backyards, was, but like was the ceiling sometimes? Too, oh like, yeah, scarily low. Oh, I've seen guys jump off, hit their heads on the roof before. Yeah, like you know. So I was lucky to get paid ten dollars. Right. You know, the biggest payday I think I ever got at around that age, and I lost my shit was like 70 bucks really the more where i made money and honestly like where i think i got a lot of like heat from some of the other wrestlers was i was i knew immediately like i'm gonna sell shirts i'm gonna sell pictures i'm gonna that's how i'm gonna make at the money. show at the show okay and i was selling tons of stuff 
And that's when other guys were like, who the fuck does this kid think he so is? So after the show, you had a table set up? Where Before go, the show, intermission, after the show. Got it. I'd wow. go out there next to the ring. All sweaty. Yeah, whatever. Taking, and, taking cash. But, yeah, whatever. And like, so I'd have pictures, t-shirts, and, you know, I was just like, I'm going to, that's how I made my money. Right. And what, what was your wrestling name? Rip Malibu. I was a surfer character. Nice. Yeah. And you came uh, up with that. No. Even funnier story. My my dad is a man of few words. One day I was working out in our but two, garage. But two of those were Rip Malibu. <laughs> yep. One day I was working out in my garage at my parents' house. My dad walks out and then he's like, and this was like, as I was getting into wrestling and I was still figuring out what I want my character to be like, one of the failed ideas, horrible idea, was Sugar Shane Hartline. Okay. And I was going to walk to the ring with women. I think I did it on one show. And imagine this 17-year-old kid with these like 30-year-old women walk to the ring in front of like Bradington, Florida rednecks. Yeah. Didn't go over well. Um, Wait, you did that? I did it at one show. <laughs> yeah. It? I have video of it. Where did you find the women? One of them was uh, a girlfriend of mine at the time. She was, <laughs> I was, I was pretty stoked. She was like in her mid twenties. I thought I was the shit. Yeah. And she's like, I got, I got a couple other friends I'll bring. So I, I was this 17 year old shithead kid walking to the ring, call myself sugar Shane Hartline with three hot women in front of a crowd of grown ass men yeah. wanting to kill me. It's so good. Um, just, just hating what you represent. Hating everything about me. And I get it. Yeah. I hate that Shane too. Now looking back, <laughs> um, but no, I was working out. My dad walks out in the garage. He says, I had, I had a dream last night. You're going to be Rip Malibu, a surfer. And I'm like, that's it. That's genius. That's amazing. And what was even crazier. Did you wear like board shorts and stuff? Yeah, I wore board shorts, like a tank top, puka uh -huh. necklace. My finishing move is I'd body slam my opponent and I'd surf on them. <laughs> <laughs> and... <coughs> And oh my God, so many of the wrestlers like loved and hated that move right. because they weren't having to take any slams. So, so they're they, on their stomach. So either I was like, whatever you're more comfortable with, right. because some guys didn't want to be stood on their stomach yeah. and some guys didn't want to be stood on their back yeah. because their backs have issues. Yeah. So I was like, whatever you want. Oh my um, God. Like this with your arms out, catching yeah, away. Yeah. And then, and even better, I'd finish it with jumping off and dropping an elbow on them. Oh my so God. So it was so fun. And like, that's what I, that was the best so that was amazing. me as a wrestler. Yeah. It's like I made like the crowd went apeshit for that. And it was so simple. That's always what I tried to do is like, just like, how can I do the simpler shit? So I, I don't kill myself mm -hmm. to get and get bigger reactions. You know, that's something that, that people don't get in a lot of businesses primarily in anything to do with entertainment is that people, I think naturally want to conform you know, and they and they they're afraid to like be original, yeah, or do be too original. But like, I mean, I can't tell you how many how many times just growing up, I was called weird, you know, mm -hmm. and 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 at that and and hearing that whenever I was called that, I always hated that because I wanted to be just like everybody else. I wanted to be like the cool kids. I didn't want to be weird, but but now it's like weird is great. And I don't know if that's a changing of the times. I don't necessarily think that. I it think is. it is a little bit. A little bit. Mm -hmm. Just quirky is like is like in. Well, I think that like we're you know with every all the horrible shit that's happening in the world, we are in a time of more acceptance of people and their mm -hmm. issues and their things like that. I mean, you nailed like I feel like the theme of my whole life. I feel like I've constantly just been trying to. I I go through the same cycle. Whatever new thing I try to do, I try to fit in. Yeah. And. <clears throat> 
and then I have to like ultimately come to finding what my groove with was yeah. is with anything. And think about anybody that you admire as a performer and especially like like a musician or a fine artist or an actor it's the people that just like put themselves into it that you that you appreciate it's the people that dabble on the edges that you're just kind of like dude make up your make up your mind mm -hmm. you know what i mean mm -hmm. like so that's 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 it's admirable that you were doing that it's, you were doing something way cooler when you were 18 than I was doing when I was 18. What were you doing when I you were 18? I don't even fucking remember. How about, <laughs> How about that? How about that? Yeah, I mean, it was fun, man. Like, good memories coupled with, you know, some shady incidents and things mm. that I probably shouldn't have been exposed to at that young of an age. Right. And I wasn't ready for it. Like, right. if, like I said, maybe another five, six years, who knows where my life would have taken me. But I think I'm, you know, I made the right decisions yeah. and... And so, so you did a uh, Rock of Ages. Mm -hmm. That's the one with Tom Cruise. Mm -hmm. And you had like, were you basically an extra? No. So I had one. I was one scene, but it was a very cool situation. Like, I'm sorry. Like, were you cast as sort of because you were the bartender? Were you cast to have lines? Yeah, oh, you were. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was. I mean, it was even crazier. It was like that was my first big booking. Like, I'd done a couple commercials before that, but I was one year into the business, the acting industry. So you, you got through an agent. Yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah. So in my mind, you were like the bartender extra. They're like, let's get this guy some lines. So that's not. No, okay. no. Um, <clears throat> no, I went through like I auditioned for one part, got a call back for another part, and it, I mean that was this has been so far even this has been the longest audition process of my career, and or it was the longest <laughs> of my career, and. So one, I auditioned for one part, got a call back for another part. Then I got invited with like five other like no name actors to the table read to just read a bunch of the bit parts. Mm -hmm. Scared shitless. I mean, I'm sitting next to Paul Giamatti, uh, Russell Brand, Alec Baldwin, Tom Cruise, uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones, everybody at this table read and me. Like, I'm just like scared shitless. Yeah. So I do this table read where I'm reading scenes with like Tom Cruise and all these people. And then there's all of us at this massive table in the studio and like it, it felt like a hundred production people, studio executives, yeah. all these people in this room. And afterwards I'm like, that's it. I, I blew it. I blew it. And the casting director starts walking up to me and I'm like, she's coming to tell me that I blew it. Like I felt like I did. Mm. And she's like, well, uh, he does, uh, Al, um, Adam, the director doesn't want you for this one part anymore. And I'm like, I know. Yeah. And she's like, no, he actually wants to give you this other part, Jimmy the bartender. I'm like, I in my mind, I'm like, no lines, probably right, great. Right. No, it was actually bigger than the part I was originally being considered for. And I had one fun, quick scene. But what was great is I they needed me for the background of every other shot in the bar. So mm -hmm. I worked a month on that movie, which at the time was more money than I've ever had in my yeah. life. Like such a... And this is in Florida? Florida. Okay. And around Miami. So, I mean, it was life-changing in so many ways. Like, I was just thrust onto this huge set as my first thing with all this money. And I'd already been toying with the idea of Los Angeles. So, I was like, boom, I'm going to go to L.A. Because yeah. if I stay here, I'm going to waste. And you, like, I'm going to call Tom... And yeah, Russ and, yeah, and be like, hey guys, what's up? What's next? What are I'm, we doing? Gonna th I'm, yeah, I mean, on it, and that you're joking, but a part of me like was like, well, this 
it's all uphill from here, mm-hmm. like or whatever the better side of that phrase is. But mm, yeah, it's it, not downhill. It's not uphill. It's yeah, yeah. I'm just coasting <laughs> from here. Like yeah. it's like SNL's next. Yeah. I mean, it's just all from and the the biggest takeaway from doing that was you know realizing that's not the case in this industry and especially for where I was I was I was not experienced I mean I I, I was fine for that part but for the uh, what I mean I wasn't experienced mentally enough to handle jumping into the business Mm -hmm. and I thought that that was going to be while it did help me with some things it didn't help me like I thought it was going to you you know what I mean yeah but you have to go into it with with a sense of positivity and I I, I've been called uh you know too much of an optimist at times. I'd rather be that way. I know. I've, I've, that's exactly right. You, you don't want to be like, oh, I got this part. I'll probably never get another part. No, you you got to ride it, man, because you also have to ride that confidence and that and that uh, that positivity. I think I was talk, telling you about this. I was I was doing a show um, for uh, called Chug, mm-hmm. which was ended up being on on National Geographic Channel and then Netflix. Uh-huh. And and so, but at the time, it was a kickstarted. It was the first ever kickstarted, uh, the first ever crowdfunded television show ever. But yet, I'm, you know, made it for however many people, 3,000 people, however many people, you know, backed the project. But I'm over in Asia shooting this and feeling like, good, like, oh, I'm back, I'm back. But the thing is, is like, I'm back. 3,000 people brought me back. A network didn't bring me back, but still, it gave me confidence and it made me feel like I'm doing what I need to do. So when I when I landed, I got called into this audition for this National Geographic. This is before National Geographic bought my show. Just this National Geographic Channel show it was kind of like a like a the, their version of MythBusters, mm-hmm. and they had two hosts that were scientists, and they didn't feel like it worked out, so they wanted two people that were more sort of you know hosts. And so I just literally landed, got the call, went to the audition. I'm flying high. I'm still feeling good. And I walk in there, not cocky, but very confident. Sure. And they liked it. Yep. Right? And if I walked in like with maybe how I feel at times, right, on this mm-hmm. stupid roller coaster that we're on, I would walk in and not bring that. And they People want feel me. that energy. They feel it. Yeah. They feel it. And I think, you know. And, and by the way, so just to end that, I got, I got called that evening that I yep. got it. Yeah. And, and that was it. Um, and then I wish we could, I wish there was a, I mean, there probably is, but I wish there was a pill that you could feel that confident at all times. It's it's a powder. It's powder. That's right. That's right. I've heard of it. Um, no, but like, I think, you know, backtracking a little bit, like I, as Zen is, and as hippie as it is, like, I think it is better to just like, you know, cause I think it is, especially in the acting industry. Like I, I struggle with it. My, my fiance struggles with it, but like, you know, this like, you know, when will I work again? You right. know, this like, uh, am I good enough? Like these, these, these like mental roller coaster uh, rides that we take ourselves on. But I feel like, you know, it, it's such a hard practice. But like what we speak, I, I believe in as sin as a hippie as it sounds like what we speak becomes reality. Like the energy we put out mm-hmm. is like, I do believe that that eventually becomes our reality. Yeah. So I try my god dang best, man, to just like as much as possible, think more positive, speak more positive. But it's it's tough in this industry, man. Well, like, so you, you've been on Station 19 for... Shoot, since August? Yeah. So nine episodes? I just finished my 11th. 11th. Mm-hmm. And so that 
has to put you in a mental spot. So especially when the when um, because when do they go on hiatus? Uh, they stopped shooting in a month and a half or a month, month and a half. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's puts you in a great mental space mm-hmm. for what you're going to do to fill that hiatus. I, I hope, yeah, I hope I can continue. No, to, it will. Yes, it will. Okay, you're right. You I'm already slipping. I'm already doing what I just said to not to, <laughs> that I don't do. No, it, yeah, I, I want to, you know, I feel in a, I'm in a confident place, you know, emotionally and everything. And, and that is the practice of this industry is like, okay, when you get there, like, how can you, I don't want to say take advantage of it, but like ride the high a little bit, because like you said, you walked into that room with such confidence. Mm-hmm. It's invaluable. Like you walk into an audition and you have a scent of desperation on you. They smell it yeah. and it's, it's unattractive, Yeah, I, but it, but it's hard not to, when you're auditioning for something like you know, and the more you do and the more you audition, you're auditioning for more and more things that you desperately want. Mm-hmm. Like, so it, how do you walk in and not you know, have that? It's funny because I, I've also been, and by the way, I'm taking notes. I'm not like checking in, in my email. Uh, <laughs> I'm taking notes on in your interview. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a someone that was applying for a job a while back, a while back. And he's just like, man, I just, I just, I really need the work. I really, I haven't worked in two years. I just really da 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 da. And he was, he was nice, but he just felt, he just felt it was, defeated. It was me about Station Nineteen. And, and, and then, and then it was you. And then I had another guy came, and he's like, you know, all you know, energy and positivity. I'm like, man, I just can't stop thinking about that other guy. But this other person who's who's bringing this high energy in, he's like. That's somebody. That's the energy I want to have around me, mm-hmm. and I, you know, and, and I and I hate being in the hiring position because I hate not being able to hire everybody. Mm. But I mean, but, it, but it's something that people should, and the people listening, if, if you're in that situation, you have to bring in that. Confidence. You gotta you gotta work on that muscle. You yeah. really have to. And I mean, I, I mean, we all have friends too that like you know like, they're, it's sad, but you know everybody watching and listening knows it's true that there you have those friends that that just brings such a fun energy to the group. Mm-hmm. Those are the people you want to invite first. And then you have other friends that like are always Debbie Downers or my life sucks. Nothing's ever going right. I have certain friends like that, that that's always their energy. And it's not that I don't want to invite them things, but like I have to think about inviting them to certain things because their energy does affect a situation. I'm not saying that like, yeah, I, I dislike them or, you know, anything, yeah, no, but you know no, what I mean? Like no, it's, energy it's, 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 can affect everything. That's it. That's what the whole thing is. Um, Hey Mark, can you go grab Tulip for me? Thanks. What is Tulip and what's going to happen? Yeah. Is this um, a new segment? <laughs> is this yeah, my next guest, but you can stay here. And be is this my cat cam idea? Is, yeah. I have an idea guys. I want him to, because he has a, a hundred thousand fucking cats. 14, in this house. 14, but, um, okay. but uh, take one of the cats. Yeah. Preferably more of a friendly one. And no. put it, put a GoPro on the back, shut the door in this podcast room whenever the podcast starts and just let the cat loose and occasionally cut to the cat cam. Oh, okay. So the cat's not walking around the house. No, the in, in the here. room with you and occasionally so just cut to the like cat. It's like a shot of like licking its paws. What, yeah. yeah. Check in with the cat cam. I think. I don't know the if chances you like that- making money or not, but like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. The question is, what is Mark doing with Tulip? Oh no! Just you just hand me the damn cat. <laughs> oh my god! You didn't prepare me for this. Here, here we go. There we go. Got hey, it. Kitty. Got it. Okay. That's not a cat. That's a cute kitty. Dude, what did you do to it? You broke its hand, Mark. Oh what my the god! F- Look, you broke both of his arms. 
what's going on? What happened to your arms? Why are your arms all broken? So she couldn't is, be cuter. No, she couldn't be cuter. So she, uh, what was it called? Well, no, the, the technical term. Mel said it. Hey, Mel. What's the, what does this cat have? This. It's, it was radio hypoplasia, but now it's. Oh, because there's no radius. So it's missing it. So it's it's missing radio radial hypoplasia. Aww. So basically, it's born with missing the second bone in your arm. Oh my god! And then and then these joints aren't connected. So we kind of got it, hoping we could straighten it out. But we've had, but now they're kind of called kangaroo cats because they sit up like this. Mm. Not the best thing for their back, but it's totally fine. It's how they kind of communicate. But um, yeah, she's she's amazing, and so you know, cute here. That's for my gift, my yeah, parting your, gift. Your, your, your parting gift. She, she's, she's up for, uh, up for adoption. Hmm. You good? You want to do walk around? She, she's Cut not, to the cat cam. Not the best. Yeah, she couldn't hold your GoPro very well. Oh, poor thing. Here. Should people hey go up on your? No, no, don't back up. Should people hey come up? You can't. It's too slippery. Okay. What happened? Okay. Mm. Okay. Okay. You're too cute. Super cute. Um. Okay. So. Um. Here, Mark, I'll have you take her back. Wait a second. Okay. Was I not being cute enough? <laughs> there, there's a certain uh, level of expected cuteness <laughs> that... The, that the, I was not hitting, that you were not, That you were not hitting. Yeah, clearly. exactly right. Um, all right, so you used to have this on your, um, on your Instagram. It's probably not there anymore, where you talk about a neurological disorder. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's that called? It's called, I'm not making a correlation to you and Tulip. Mm-mm. Wow. It felt, what a it, transition. It felt like it. Yeah. Uh, no, it's called spasmodic dysphonia. Okay. Um, I'm one of the lucky. Uh, I think in the United States alone, there's only 50,000 people that have it. Um, it's an insanely rare neurological condition. And, uh, you know, I want to start off by saying I'm very fortunate because I have you such a mild... Right? Not okay. even the least. Okay. I'm very public about okay. it. Um I'm very fortunate. I don't claim to suffer, you know, but I have a very, very mild case of it. It was a lot worse when I was younger, but I'm one of, you know, I've met doctors that say they haven't met anybody like me, but I've met one other person. So I know there's at least one other. Like uh, you in, in what way? In the sense that I got it, I got it at age five. Okay. Most people get it in their fifties. Oh. So basically what happens, to, you know. So I can still get it. Yeah, you still okay. a chance, bro. Okay. Um, basically, what happens, sometimes it's triggered by a traumatic incident. I had a great childhood. Nothing happened. But sometimes it's triggered by a traumatic incident. Sometimes people just get sick and it happens. Sometimes they just wake up and it happens. So mm-hmm. basically, what happens, there's a there's a signal that goes from your brain to your vocal cords that, that controls it, allows the muscles to operate how they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. For people that get spasmodic dysphonia, at some point, something happens where there's a electrical misfire between those signals and they stop operating as they're supposed to. And basically what happens, there's two types of, or three types of spasmodic dysphonia. One of the types, the signal causes the, the new signal causes the muscle to contract when it's not supposed to causing like this, like choking kind of voice for people with severe cases. The next type is it causes the muscles to um, detract or 
uh, open uh-huh. when they're not supposed to, which is more of my case. It's a little breathiness that happens. Mm-hmm. And then there's people with mix, you know, that oh, wow. causes both to happen. Now, what's heartbreaking is people with severe cases. It is completely debilitating. Like they can no longer speak like it's uh, the whole, for severe cases the right. whole time. It's it's heartbreaking. And the person and what's interesting is a person looks fine no uh, yeah you would and, never and, and know when you start talking to them they can't talk you're like you never yeah. would know yeah you know so i got it at five so you know coupled with like being a chubby kid redhead freckles and this weird interesting voice that you know at first p- kids at that age don't think like yeah. they're, they're not like hyper focused on what's different about you but when i got into my teenage years it became something i was extremely self-conscious of but what i found that was my you know, a lot of people have the similar stories that find comedy, but they're like comedy found me, Mm -hmm. but it really did because with spasmodic dysphonia, a common thing that helps people be able to speak is changing your pitch. For me, I found that making higher pitch voices was easier to speak, but I can't go around talking like this. So I would, I would find characters. If you you held it like that, you could talk effortlessly. If I did different voices, I could talk effortlessly. So what used to scare me the most in school was public speeches, sure. public speaking in front of the class. So I would always fight and pitch for, can I do it as a character? Can I do it as an impression of you, the teacher? Because to me, that was like, I, it would allow me to speak effortlessly. Have If people were laughing with me, they weren't laughing at me. Mm-hmm. You know, So I found comedy that way by realizing how comfortable being another character or doing a funny voice how comfortable it made me. Yeah. Now, That's you know, awesome. to jump forward a bit, like my journey to get to, you know, I'm still on my journey, but where I'm at now with being at a place of much, being much more comfortable with it was a tough one. Like I spent many years hating it about myself. And honestly, like that energy that I put around it made it a lot worse. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until like I went public about it. I made a short film and, and, started telling my story and raising awareness and really trying to, you know, be a, no pun intended, but be a voice for it, mm-hmm. you know, in whatever way I can. It was when it started honestly be opening up a bit and becoming, a, I, I got more comfortable in my own skin. Yeah. Um, but I, I still struggle with it. Like I still struggle, um, struggle with up here in my head. Yeah. Okay. Because I, it's like when I struggle a little bit with it, it sometimes I'll spiral in that like, well, how am I ever going to work? How, what if a, yeah. what if an actor, what if a director needs me to, Oh, I'm lucky to be on station 19 because they let me say things a little bit how I want to say them. But what oh. if I get on a set with like a David fucking Fincher and he's like, no, I need you to say this word exactly yeah. how I, like, I can't like what if sometimes he said to say it breathy, would that make it worse? No, no. But what I mean is like, there's some like it's people with spasmodic dysphonia, like, Sometimes single words or certain words are more difficult than others. Got it. And that's the case for me too. It's like, I always know reading a script, like that's one of my words that are more difficult, but I know how I know tricks of how to like mm. get them out a little bit easier. Yeah. And so if I'm on a set, that's a loose set in a sense that they'll let me do those tricks that most people wouldn't even realize. Yeah. Um, I know it actor, makes things easier. I knew an actor with, uh, with a stutter. Sure. And well, there's a lot of actors with lisps, yeah. You know, no, but, th- but this guy was, and this guy went to, went to like Princeton actor and it was, and he had a stutter, pretty significant mm. one, but not when he was acting. 
Yeah. So when yeah. he knew everything was going to say, he he didn't he didn't have it. Only in regular conversation. You know, I'm more. It it's sounds ridiculous, but I'm more comfortable performing. Yeah. I'm more com- and it might go back to some something about my childhood about sure. doing yeah. this stuff with characters in class or whatever. But like, I'm way more comfortable on a stage or performing and. And you and you did something the other night in Hollywood. What was it called? At the Third Wheel. Oh yeah, yeah, that was two nights ago. What, what was that? I'm I'm glad you brought that up, and not not just like, but for real. I'm you glad told you told me you it said up. you'll only come on this podcast if I bring that up. Yeah, I know. So it's um, weird that so you're glad saying. you brought that up. <laughs> um, no, but like my buddy is was putting up a stand up show, mm-hmm. and I've I've told you this. I've kind of like struggled with like, should I do stand up? Like, there's something though about it that like I just don't want to do the traditional stand up. Mm-hmm path or route or whatever yeah so anytime i get asked to do like a stand-up show i look for any other way to do it than the traditional get up there like tell jokes type Mm -hmm. of thing so i always kind of like lean towards doing my characters um but i i stressed for days about should i try doing more traditional stand-up and i like i literally lost sleep over her should I or should I not? And I just ultimately was like, I just got to do what I, whatever my comedy. Like the day before? Yeah, man. Wow. It was weird. It was like, I think it was just this like, this pressure I've always felt like, should, should I do it? Why don't I want to do it? Um, because everything else I've all I've ever like wanted to do, I've tried. I think that there's a little bit of an intimidation. For sure. Um, I think there's it's a, a very, it's a very scary thing to go up there and to perform your stuff Mm -hmm. right so there's no excuses and and not only that you're trying to elicit a very specific emotional response that is nuanced yeah and especially doing it out here people expect big things and i think i think we're also a bit of the intimidation comes in for me too is with my speech condition the most unnatural or the most uncomfortable i am is when i'm just speaking as myself Mm. So that's what you do when you're a stand-up, really. I mean, you kind of find your comedy voice. You kind of create a caricature of yourself at times. But for the most part, you need to be yourself. And so I've always kind of, like, looked for any reason to do a character. Yeah. And so I ultimately did that. And, like, you know, it's funny doing, you know, sometimes I do char- or I do shows that are, this is a character show. So mm-hmm. it's people know what they're getting themselves into. For a show that's... 99% stand up and then me going up in characters and stuff. It's like, it's jarring for some people. Sometimes I get weird looks from other comedians because, but it's a, that's a, that's what I wanted to talk to you about. Mm. Why is there such a stigma? If I go to a stand up show and I put on a, a, not a full on costume, but I'm definitely putting some effort into like a costume or some part of becoming the character. Why is there a stigma from other stand ups Like, Oh, look at this guy. Look at this guy. Like, because, you know what? So that's so interesting because I'm, and it's not the case with every standup. No, no, it's no, it's it's not. But but it but you're that's you're definitely you're definitely completely on with that. I think that that a lot of the people, especially out here, people have dedicated their lives to their standup, and and it's a, uh, and and many of them see it as a a pure. A pure you don't art. need costumes. You don't. You, yeah. sh- you shouldn't need them, and all that kind of stuff. So when I started doing my stand-up, I had a visual. When I did my first tour about twelve years ago, I had a um, a big screen playing things behind me. 
I, you know, sometimes I could talk to it and, yeah. and uh, shit, stuff I shot in video and it was all like, you know, all well choreographed. And then sometimes I'd have another character sometimes come out. Sometimes you have puppets and magic and, yeah. and it was too much. You so. thought they puppets? Because you thought they were puppies. Um, and then when I came out you with puppets, puppies, puppies on the you, show you, too you once. You, if I have, if you, yeah, you come out with a kitten and see what people say. <laughs> no, you can be like, I don't like this guy. He comes out with kittens. Like, no, what does he have to say? Um, and so when I did that, for me, the biggest problem with that was started to fall back, started to lean on it. Wasn't really feeling the pressure when I went on stage because I I knew that my slides were there and all that kind of stuff, and I was bringing about a bunch of stuff with me. So when I did it now, when I do my stand up now. I don't have anything. Mm-hmm. In fact, um, it, like, and, and Nick, my opener, he's a very, very purist. So I don't know if that's rubbing off on me or if, or if this is just me feeling exactly what you're talking about from other people. Like, at the end of my show, you know, my, my, my closer, I basically, I have to be at, I, I'm standing in a bar with a shot glass. But I don't want to bring a shot glass up there. I want to, like, pantomime everything and whatever. So I have, I just use my glass. Mm. And I have a barrel, and that's the only thing I want to have up there. One time, I I brought this. This is recently. I brought this bottle of whiskey because I was going to give it to somebody, because I was in um, Knoxville, and the guy who was the head of uh, Fine Living Network that bought my show, Three Sheets, you know, basically saved the mm-hmm. show, was there. And at the end, I wanted to give him a you know this bottle mm-hmm. that I signed, and. I brought it up and put it on the barrel. People come home. What's the barrel for? I mean, what's the what's the bottle for? I'm like, oh my god! So I literally had to take the bottle and put it off to the side. Mm. So like, okay, focus on me. So so I don't know. I become a little bit more of a purist, like in that in that sense. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you got to do what's you. That's the thing is like I come from such um, like a sketch improv uh, base of how I got into comedy. So I never look at it as like a crutch or like, oh, you need to bring up costumes and props and stuff. I'm like, cool, whatever. If like, it's, it, listen, if it's good, if it's funny, it does not matter. Well, dude, and, and I'm not trying to like toot my own horn, but it got a fun reaction. Yeah. And like, I think it stood, there was great, some great comics there, but like, I think it did stand out a little bit because everybody's kind of doing the same thing on a night of amongst you know, like an hour and a half, two hours of comics up there doing the same thing. Yeah. Like I do feel like I'm not saying costumes and props are always the thing, but like, how do you stand out? You know that? Well, you know, who stands out is carrot top. Yeah. Gallagher. Now, by the way, the, these, these are, these are comics that are so successful with their props. They don't need, that, you know, That's they, what I was gonna say too. It's like some people make name. a joke about Carrot Top, but he is so talented. Yeah, so funny. Yeah, and and the uh, um, oh, I, here's my question. So, how how many minutes did you do up there? Fifteen. Fifteen. Mm-hmm. This is so. This is something you had written out. I didn't really write anything. I, I, I <laughs> well, no, I, I I say that like yeah. no, but I I, I took I took loosely. So I took three characters, two characters that I was very familiar with like that i've done videos and okay, on so you, other shows okay. so you so you had like a uh, so here's so, yeah so here's what i did i went up i did my southern man character which yeah. i've i i could 
improv everybody for days. Know, everybody knows your Southern man character. <laughs> I could improv for days as that character. Okay. So I went up knowing like really what I was going to do with him for her. I was probably with, in him for, I was in him. Wow. Uh, I and, was, there, and there's our show. I was probably inside <laughs> him for about seven or eight minutes. Um, and then, and then I like spoke and played with the audience for a second into my next character. And then for the remaining three minutes or whatever, I just kind of improved a bit that I was prepping. Did you sh- record this? Mm-mm. It doesn't exist anywhere? The pictures and shit. Nobody filmed it. That's crazy. In my heart, it exists. Well, and other people's hearts that were there as well. Yeah. I would it, love to see it because... It, you know, I... So are you going to do it again? I, I walked in that show and I'm like, I need to... I need to start doing stand-up. I need to figure out what my groove is with it. I walked into that show. One dude drops a joke, so, something about how he loved 9-11. He thought it was hilarious. Dude, the com- comedy said that. I didn't say that. Yeah. Another guy drops a derogatory term for gay people mm-hmm. within three minutes for two different guys. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't want any part of this. And 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 I know I can't paint the whole comedy scene based on those two comics, mm-hmm. but like, gosh, it's like every time I want to, there's something else that pushes me away, or maybe I'm looking for that. You might be looking for. I it. I might be you looking know, only for because it. look, I, I I don't like that kind of stuff. I hate it, dude. And, and, I hate it so much, yeah. and I feel like it's and it's, it's, and I don't it's, care if this upsets shock. anybody. It's I like feel it's comedy. a shock thing. Yeah. And if you're not funny enough, if you need to resort to insulting and offending people, like don't do comedy yeah. like, or figure out another shtick yeah. because I, it sucked the air out of the room. Yeah. Not a single person laughed at either of those things. And everyone was looking around like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, did he really just say that? Yeah. Some people were like, holy shit, man. Yeah. Is that comedy? Yeah. I don't think it is. That you, but you, but 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 those two guys stood out, unfortunately, for their bad thing. But what about all the other comics that did? Yeah, good stuff? I know. And I and I, we got, you, we got, I'm fighting not like because when I when I heard those when I heard those two jokes from those two comics, mm-hmm. I was like, I'm out. This is my this is my sign that I don't need to do stand up. Yeah. But what you just said is what I'm trying to get to is like. I need to go up there and do my thing, whatever my thing is. And like, I'm trying less and less to depend on outfits and stuff and, and go up there and just become the characters in a, kind of in a Robin Williams type of way. Yeah. Um, but I'm working towards that. See, here's the thing. There's a lot of comics that are comics for comics, right? They, they want other comics to accept them because that's, that, that's kind of, that's one way that the business works. They want other comedians to think that they're funny because if other comedians that's with think anything that, funny, that was with wrestling when I did it, yeah. that's acting, yeah. But you don't have to worry about them. All you have to do is you be funny. If if the audience likes you and other other comedians think that you're a hack or whatever they they want to mm. think, that it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And and it takes a real sense of confidence or faked confidence it doesn't fucking matter to just to just go up there and do what you think works. If you go up there and and it doesn't work. Then you change it. That's what that's sure. what stand up's all yeah. about. It's about every day. That's why I'm saying like, oh man, I wish you would have videotaped this so we, I could. I want to see it. I know. You know? I, I should have, and I easily could have. It's just I didn't. So go know? go up again and for do sure, it, and then just like and, and I see see where see where it can go. I've always, with everything I've ever done, uh, tried to authentically find how to stand out in anything. Yeah. So I you know I did that, and I felt like it stood out. It's Stood out with, I mean, there was a, a couple of really great comedians and I feel like 
I was in the mix of them of people that went to that show that mm-hmm. night. Yeah. They'd remember. They'd right. leave remembering the the dude that changed in front of the audience as a Southern man. Yeah. You know, and that to me is like all I'm trying to achieve. Yeah. Is like leave people remembering something. Yeah. I mean, you got you got big laughs. It it did. It really yeah. did. And that, then that then 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 it worked. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's about it's about replicating it for the next time. And then all keep finding and then, what and then keeps working, and yeah. yeah. And find what find what works and whatever. If you find what doesn't work, you you try to fix it, mm-hmm. and at some point you're gonna abandon it. But I think with stand up too, I've noticed. I mean, it like everything. It's like when you find a confidence up there. I think that's what people, the audience feels your energy mm-hmm. when you're up there feeling desperate or nervous. You know, it's hard not to be nervous, but when you feel like desperate and you know like. Um, out of place like I think the audience can kind of feel it oh god they can that's why if I've ever had a joke that that doesn't work then I just I'll I laugh it off or be like all right well that's not going that, mm. I'm not gonna say that joke again uh-huh I've even said the joke again you kind of say what they're the thinking they're thing. feeling yeah yeah yeah, yeah, like yeah it's, it's, but but you you you're the ringleader is uh-huh. as long as your energy's up and you're laughing having a good time then I'll tell you one thing that didn't go over in my set okay. that that was truth. And I was just, I needed to say it and yeah. it might get me canceled. It's a bit controversial, Let's see. but I'm going to say it. I didn't like the Batman, the movie, the movie, the Batman, you know, what's interesting. Um, I haven't seen it yet, but you're not the first person to tell me that really. Yeah. Oh my God. I felt like I was literally the only person that didn't like no. it. My my buddy, I was like, "You want to go see it?" He's like, "I saw it." He goes, "He goes, it's three hours and it feels like it." Dude, here's my theory. I'm not gonna say that everyone that says they like it didn't like it, mm-hmm. but I think there is a large audience of the people that said they liked it that didn't because, and I and I think I know which ones they are. If anybody tweets it, it's like, "This is the best Batman ever." This is blah 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 blah. Now there were parts I liked that you mm-hmm. know I think that Pattinson was a great Batman, not no, a great Bruce Wayne. Don't give me away too much because I'm seen not. It. I'm not. I still want to go and not like it for myself. Great. Okay. And I think you will. Okay. Um, the score was cool. Past that, a lot I didn't like. Yeah. But anybody that tweets is like, "It's the best movie ever, best Batman ever," and you end your tweet with, "But it's so long. You didn't like it." Yeah. And Mark, did you see it? Not yet. Okay. okay. I want to hear what you guys think because yeah. it felt like walking through mud for me to get through. Yeah. And I, I'm a firm believer because I had buddies that were like, go again, see it with me. You're missing something. No, dude, I saw it. I saw the whole thing with my eyes open <laughs> and I don't believe that a movie should one be seen a second time to understand it. Right. Um, I don't believe that I need to watch like a YouTube, like here's how to understand this movie to like it. I don't think I should, you know, any of that should exist to like a movie. It's funny. I, I'm going through the same thing right now with Dune. So I hadn't I, seen that yet. So I, so I watched it. Mel and I watched it and she doesn't like when things drag. She doesn't, she just doesn't like space, um, like outer space. Uh, futuristic <laughs> stuff, like, stuff like that but um, but if it's good she'll, she'll like it but she was kind of not into it so I don't know if I was feeding off of that energy but I watched the movie I'm like okay that was that was good actually about 15-20 minutes into it I was like this is fucking awesome and then I don't know why whatever but anyway I'm now like it's now back on HBO Max mm. 
And so when I have time, I'm going to see it. I'm going to just go and just watch it myself and just see how I feel about it. Here's so it's, it's 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 similar to what your friend is saying, but it's the re, the main reason is because I watched Dune at home. You watched Batman in the theater. Mm-hmm. If I would have seen Dune in the theater, I would have walked away with a very clear, you know, sure. opinion of it. For sure. I mean, yeah, when you're at the theater, it's like a pretty much an undivided attention. Yeah. When you can pause it to go make toast. Yeah, it it's not a, yeah. yeah. Um but here's what I'll say it doesn't spoil anything for the Batman. But when he One dies, hour, when he dies <laughs> and how they killed him, yeah. it took me out of it a bit. No, but 1 hour shorter. I think it would have been a heavier hitting movie because yeah. there were a lot of parts I enjoyed, but I just, when a movie feels like when, when I'm an, when I know there's like an over an hour left in the movie and I'm like, God, this is come on. Yeah. You got an hour left in this thing. I never, I never should think that. Yeah. Right. You know? Right. That's, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And then it's funny. I used to do my, my standup used to be longer and everyone that it's I'm three with, hours, like, dude. It was three hours. The first time I did it, dressed up as Batman. <laughs> the first time I did it was was turn the lights off. It was dark. It was, but you, you just you not you gotta sit there. In the I'm silence. missing it. I missed you it. You have to sit there in the silence. I need to see it a second time. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly right. The longer version. The first time I did it was two hours. My very first show again, twelve years ago, with this big thing happened in the background, and I just wanted to give people their mon- their money's worth. Sh- but uh-huh. that's but what. What gives them their money's worth is like hit them hard and fast and leave them wanting and more. Leave them wanting more. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. So here's that's where we end this to have you come back. We'd love to because we, we want to know more. I want to talk. I want you to go see the Batman and yeah. then I'll come back. Okay, done. And we'll, and talk, we'll talk about, about it. it. Yeah. And I hope we disagree. I hope so too. That because great. otherwise it'll just be us going like I didn't like it. I mean either. Okay. Help well, me figure else? out what I'm missing. I will without having to see it again. That's what I'll do. Thank you, Shane. Dude, thank you. Your time here is done. <laughs> That's <not how> All <laughs> right. So, Kate, look here. Okay. So here's my conclusion uh, for today's episode, and that is, Shane's a better person than Steve. The thing about Steve is that is that he he he's very funny. He's very charming, and even when he drinks, he never got mean or like you know like you know like like terribly reckless he just became goofier and i think you know made bad decisions but but never anything aggressive or whatever so he was always fun to have around especially when he when he was drinking i respect the fact that he's not drinking and i do think that he should not be drinking so i'm fully in support of that i didn't want him to come to the special to the brewery he's like what well, i also don't want to be around that kind of environment what a fucking sound stage don't it's not a brewery dude you'll be behind backstage with me in the green room getting ready to go out there and then go do your thing you don't have to hang out by the bar you don't have to mingle with anybody no one's going to make you drink as a matter of fact you'll have a bunch of people around you that will make sure you don't but i don't think but he's not like that he's not like like hankering for a drink but anyway um so yeah I think I think the the issue is that Steve he's been great as like the you know the the sidekick um the co-host but never never as the collaborator if you've listened to a lot of these podcasts you know so look I don't know if this is the end of an era this happened the same fucking thing happened a year ago and then he like he's like why am I not doing the podcast anymore Oh my God, Steve, because you fucking quit. And then you came back and I fired him. I don't know. Like, so anyway, so he might come back. But until then, I'm going to do it like this.
I'm going to do the podcast like this because this is a bit cathartic for me and I get to say the shit that I want without interruptions. So uh, please come see my, my stand-up. Um, I'm going to be better about putting my stand-up on my social media. That's a, Let's talk about social media next time. Social media. Let's fucking talk about that. We need to have discussion. Just you and me and no Steve next week. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Please go to zanelamprey.com to get tickets to a brewery near you. People complain to me. They're like, hey, why are you not coming to such and such city, right? I can't think of one off the top of my head. It's like, I'm going to 100 fucking cities. Do you know anybody else, any other comedian or artist is doing 100 shows in a year? Actually, by the end of the year, I think it'll be like 130 because I'm doing a bunch of laughs and draft shows before I transition to the next thing. It's like 130 fucking shows. Is that not enough for you? I'm I'm coming I'm coming to where you guys are. I'm coming as close as I can. <laughs> but so maybe you guys can kind of bridge the difference and bridge the gap and come. But look, I added a bunch of t- to shows on at the end of, you know, at the beginning of this year, like New Mexico and and three shows in Iowa and and Nebraska whatever. So, um Anyway, sorry, I don't mean to yell at you. Please go get tickets. Go to zanelamprey.com and uh, make sure you tell someone about this podcast, even if you want to tell them how crazy I am or how much we need Steve back. And if you have any questions, please do not hesitate to shoot an email to McKenna at gmail.com.